welcome to Dr. Waffle and Friends, a podcast where we share personal writing and then chat about it together. And now, here's Tanya with the reading. Always the Bride. We're standing under the chuppah, me and the man I love. And it's an awesome chuppah. Squares of Chinese silk are friends decorated with poetry and photos and art and well wishes, pinned together and affixed to bamboo poles held by siblings and our besties. And we're professing our commitment to each other and making promises and weeping. Well, mostly him with the weeping. I am characteristically making sure everything is running properly. At one point, I actually tell the cantor, not a rabbi, who was facilitating, not officiating, the ceremony to sit down. So, this looks a lot like a wedding, with the weeping and the promises and the chuppah and the family and the friends and the seven blessings and the breaking of the glass. But what everyone knows is that this is not a wedding, because we've made a big deal about the fact that this is a commitment ceremony, because we are not getting married. And everyone has been informed of this in the FAQ that we sent out with our invitations. The FAQ that explained that although we want people to gather with us to celebrate our love, we don't think legal marriage is a reason to have a ceremony. Just like changing your will or health insurance open enrollment isn't party worthy. And none of this is a surprise to anyone who has met me. I am not the marrying kind. I'm the raised on free to be you and me, chose my career path at age 16, women's studies major with an understanding of marriage as a patriarchal tool to control women kind. Despite my critical analysis of legal marriage, I did not have such negative feelings about weddings, about rituals that celebrate and support a relationship. And we had a relationship worth celebrating. Rob and I were in grad school in Philly when we met, on a day trip to Atlantic City with a mutual friend. Our friend was lucky in cards, so we ended up broke and bonding over free drinks and a mediocre lounge singer. Four years later, we were a happily cohabiting couple with a loving network of friends and family across the U.S. and Canada. But there was one thing missing. Our grandmothers hadn't met each other. We both adored our liberal urban grandmothers, mine in New York and his in Montreal. And it seemed a tragedy that these fabulous women who loved and influenced us had not connected with each other. We knew the only way to bring them together across many miles would be to have a significant family gathering. You know, like a wedding? Plus, I loved the idea of having something catered. And so was born the commitment ceremony. We would invite family and friends to join us in honoring our relationship. We would express our love and wear special outfits and serve food and receive gifts from our registry. It would have all the meaning and ritual of a wedding, but there would be no marriage contract. It would be lovely, but not legal. We contemplated every aspect of the ceremony. Having defied the most foundational of wedding assumptions, 
we felt a liberty to reject a wide array of traditions. There would be no giving away of the bride, no throwing of flowers and undergarments, no chorus line of women in matching taffeta dresses and dyed-to-match shoes, no authority declaring the validity of our relationship. And I would not be wearing white. Our planning book was The Essential Guide to Lesbian and Gay Weddings. Everyone knew it was a commitment ceremony, not a wedding. And they were on board with our unconventional celebration. That's what they knew. But what they didn't know was what happened several months before the commitment ceremony, when Rob bought a new car. At that point, Rob was in his 20s. And as an unmarried man, the actuarial tables assured that his insurance rates would be outrageously high. He brought this to my attention. Car insurance is really expensive for a single man in his 20s. Mm-hmm. It would be a lot cheaper if we were married. No doubt. We could save a lot of money if we got married. I don't want to get married. And then, Rob made his most convincing argument for marriage. He showed me the numbers. It was undeniable. We would save a bundle. I was in grad school and Rob was working for a nonprofit. We didn't have a lot of money. More important, however, was the quality I inherited from my father, who had a freezer just to store the dozens of steaks he bought when they were on sale and made us eat applesauce all winter one year because it was cheaper by the case. I couldn't pass up a bargain. But how to reconcile my yearning to save a few bucks with my deeply held contempt for marriage? We struck a deal. Okay, we can get married, but we can't tell anyone. So Rob and I went to the Justice of the Peace, swearing into secrecy the two friends we brought along as witnesses. Rob's car insurance rate was adjusted, and the commitment ceremony moved forward. We sent out the invitations, the FAQ, and the squares of Chinese silk which brings us to the scene under the chuppah, followed by a reception with an icebreaker activity, clever toasts, a Mother's Day song, and of course, the meeting of the grandmas. It was everything we had so thoughtfully planned. It was love and community and family. We both agreed it was the best day of our lives. We had adopted and adapted many of the Jewish wedding traditions. Between the two of us, Rob and I constituted a Jew and a half. As he was leaving, the cantor noted that with the chuppah, the blessings, the candle lighting, and the glass breaking, we had done everything required for a Jewish wedding ceremony. So even though we didn't get legally married, he considered us married. What? I got married? Again? Great. I never intended to get married, and now I'm legally and Jewishly married. Nonetheless, we went on with our lives. Rob worked and played volleyball. I finished grad school and did yoga. Meanwhile, people still talked about the commitment ceremony. How wonderful it was. How much they respected our decision not to marry. How our gambling-themed Rob and Tanya double-down magnets still adorned their refrigerators how we had created the most gay-friendly mixed-sex wedding anyone had ever attended. It's funny, though. The things you have to do when you're married but pretending you're not. And naturally, it all comes down to taxes and insurance. I evaded questions about what kind of health insurance I had. 
When friends came over, we would hide our tax forms to make sure no one saw we were married, filing jointly. After four years of such antics, Rob was relieved when I told him I was tired of lying. Thank goodness, we can finally tell people we're married. Oh, God, no. If your mother found out we'd been married this whole time and didn't tell her, she'd kill us. Okay, so what do you want to do? We have to get married again. And that's how we ended up in Vegas. We were still on a tight budget, so we stayed at Circus Circus. We asked if we could get married there by a clown, but they don't do that. It turns out they take marriage very seriously at Circus Circus. So we took a public bus to City Hall. Waiting in line for the marriage certificate, I got confused by the paperwork. It says, have you ever been married before? What do I say? I think they mean to someone else. And so, for arguably the third time, Rob and I got married. When we got home, we told our families. My aunt called to congratulate the bride. We had been together for eight years. Why did a legal document make such a difference? Societal glorification of marriage still made me grumpy. And then, six months later, Rob and I split up. It had nothing to do with the strain of being openly married. It was our disparate visions for our futures that we had ignored for too long. But people said, Oh, what a shame! You just got married! At which point my head exploded, and... I decided to come clean, and it felt good to unburden myself and speak the truth. And when I unburdened myself to my aunt, she told me a story about my grandma. I knew that when grandma was 80, she married Bob, the third husband she would outlive. We gathered for a sweet ceremony in her Manhattan West Village apartment. After the I do's, she disassembled her bouquet into four little flower bundles that she distributed to her college-age granddaughters. She was always very even-handed. And we toasted the happy couple. That's what we knew. What we didn't know, and what my aunt revealed, is that Grandma and Bob were already married when they had the wedding. Something about the apartment lease. Yes, Grandma was secretly married and hid it from everyone, having a ceremony months later. Grandma always said she got married so she wouldn't set a bad example for her granddaughters by shacking up with Bob. Apparently, she failed. When I started dating David, he cautioned me. I've been married and divorced twice and I don't plan to marry again. Oh, honey, I said. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who wants to get married less than I do. Three and a half years later... We are happily shacking up. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you so much. I love that story. It is, I mean, one of the funniest ones I think I've read of yours. Just keeps coming and coming in layers upon layers of hilarious twists and turns. It's got drama. I just love it. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share this. You know, it's so funny because this is the first piece that I ever performed. You know, people are always asking, you know, oh, have you ever been married? And then, you know, I always have this very lengthy explanation of that. (laughs) So probably uh, more than 10 years ago, a friend said, oh, have you ever been married? And so I did this, launched into this whole thing. And she was like, you have to write that up for the moth. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, that's a great idea. So that's how I originally wrote it. And it and it came to be. And then I had an opportunity to perform it. And uh, yeah, so that's the backstory. 
It's such a great story. I mean, it's got, again, the twists and turns. It's the perfect length. It's got a, like, funny ending. It's just, it's got drama. It's got grandmothers. It's got it all. (laughs) It's really great. (laughs) So I have many questions. It's obviously old now because you're not dating David anymore. Indeed. So. Yeah, so it's about 10 years old. Is that what you said? Something like that? Yeah, so I performed this, I guess it was maybe 2015, so eight years ago. Eight years ago. And yeah, and this is one of the things I wanted to talk about also because it's out of date now. Yeah, that's Um, what I was going to ask you. Yeah, so I actually, when I decided I was going to do this for the podcast, I like I pulled it out and I looked at it and I read it over. And you know, I went through this whole thing because I was like, I'm trying to figure out what to do with this story. I don't know if I'm ready to do this. And for a couple of reasons, um, one, because it's just not accurate anymore. And, mm. and I'm a researcher, so I really like accuracy. And so I was like, well, what do I do? Do I need to change the end to update it? And so this is a question I have for you as a writer of story. Also, what do you do when something gets out of date? I I feel like it just freezes this thing in time. And I was really struggling with, do I read the old version or do I somehow create a new version? But that won't always be up to date, perhaps, depending on how I end it. Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I guess I would say it depends on the purposes for which you're writing slash performing it, right? So, you know, if it's if it's published somewhere, then it's becomes this kind of object that's always that, right? It's mm-hmm. always got that ending. Whereas if you're writing something for performance like this and you're performing it different times or multiple times, uh, including on a podcast, right? It's not mm-hmm. really publication in the same way. It's kind of somewhere in between like a performance and a publication. I would say you could update it, I guess. I don't know. But there's something nice about the fact that you've presented it to us here in its original form, right? So that we actually get to kind of experience the way that you'd originally envisioned it. I mean, if you were going to update it, how would you change it? Would you just simply change just the ending to talk about dating Matt? Or how would you do it? Well, it's so interesting because... I went through so many different possible endings with this. There was mm-hmm. there was a point where I had a piece in here about like when my girlfriend and I were driving to San Francisco the day that Gavin Newsom decided that same-sex couples should be married at City Hall and we were on our way there and it was Valentine's Day and there was like all of these <laughs> things happening and I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel like marriage just haunts me in all of mm-hmm. these different ways. So <laughs> I got to say, you look like a real chump if you don't propose under those circumstances. <laughs> don't you though? I know. I feel like I am such a jerk in this story. You know? <laughs> so many levels. Well, that's the other thing. Okay, so there's so many levels of like, you know, looking at this story now and I'm supposed to be kind of like ridiculous in this story because I know myself, like looking back at myself then, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was very caught up in all these concepts of everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and on staying true to something that then sort of results in there not being very much emotion in this story. That's the other Mm. piece of it. Like, would I change anything? in terms of like the facts of stuff. Mm-hmm. But right. then there's also like, would I change anything? My, I feel like my writing has evolved in certain ways. Like, yes, this is a very clever story, I feel mm-hmm. like. Uh, yeah. It's clever and it's funny and it's, you know, charming in those ways. But I have no development as the protagonist of the story. <laughs> I feel 
feel like I end up just as, you know, sort of emotionally clueless as I start. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, that could be something you could do with this, turn it into a longer essay where you're reflecting back on this from your current position and what would you... So I guess these are questions I can ask you now and you can just kind of flesh them out in our conversation. So Mm. I guess, you know, my first question is uh, kind of on the emotion side. This is sort of halfway in between the fact side and the emotion side. And that is, do you still feel the same way about marriage, about the institution of marriage? Because I totally get it. Like I, the whole like, you know, feminist rejection of marriage as a patriarchal institution, et cetera, et cetera. And you know you were at my first wedding right? when I was when I was 22. So I had not yet at that point actually developed those principles, right? I became a feminist in grad school. I was really like just a little English book nerd who like had kind of vague ideas. I was male identified is what I would say looking back on that now. Like I just thought, I thought it was terrible the way women were second class citizens, but I wasn't because I was just as smart as dudes, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So it and took then me became until a child bride. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it took me until grad school to really become a feminist. And by that point I was divorced and, you know, we only were married for two years. So anyway, so my thing is I also went through that kind of, you know, yes, absolutely no to marriage. Now that I've done it once, I'm never doing that again. And then of course, Scott and I got married also for practical immigration reasons. So yeah, so you do kind of end up maybe rethinking those principles when push comes to shove. But my question is more about whether you feel that way still about marriage as an institution. And sub question, if so, or if not, is it a situation in which you apply different principles to yourself that you do to other people? In other words, I'm imagining you don't judge other people for getting married. I would be shocked knowing you that if you did, <laughs> that would be weird. Um, and so how do you reconcile those yeah. two things or where are you with this whole question right now? When I went through this process of trying to figure out if I was going to update this story before I read it, I, I was like, I feel like I did write something. And what I wrote a few years ago was a Facebook post, I think, is where it oh. ended up, when Mildred Loving died. So Mildred mm. Loving was um, the wife in the Loving versus right. Virginia case yeah. that struck down the anti-miscegenation laws, you know, where people of different races couldn't get married. So there, there's a thing that happens every year called Loving Day, which is in celebration of multiracial families and, mm-hmm. you know, all of this. So. So then when Mildred Loving died, I was just sort of reflecting on all of this as somebody like I am biracial. So my parents are of different races. And we moved to Virginia like a year after the Loving versus Virginia case was settled. So literally a year before that, my parents' marriage would have been illegal in the state that I ended up growing up in. Wow. So there's that piece. And then there's the part of being bisexual and having been in a relationship with a woman for eight years. And and that was before you could get married uh, in California, right. except, you know, at City Hall in, in San Francisco <laughs> that day. Right. Um, or for a few weeks. Your, uh, your so, one window of opportunity. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sort of swirling about in spaces where there's um, restrictions mm-hmm. on people being able to get married. And mm-hmm. There's something so when when Mildred Loving died and I was reflecting on this I was really thinking about how so marriage is all of those patriarchal women as chattel like it's got that whole history but it's also got um you know as the institution that it is in our society it can either 
validate a relationship mm-hmm. or it can marginalize a relationship mm-hmm. in doing that. And so then I felt like kind of a jerk for being such a downer on marriage when there are people who so desperately wanted to get married mm-hmm. who couldn't. Right. Yeah. So I think that that's sort of the shift that I made a few years ago where I lightened up a little bit on my critique of marriage. And <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, at least on a societal level. Yeah. It's gosh, it's, it's one of those tricky situations where <laughs> as a feminist, on the one hand, we want to point out all of these problems with the history of marriage as a patriarchal institution and ongoing problems with marriage as a patriarchal institution. And yet at the same time, as exactly as you say, also respect and support the desire of people who haven't been able to get married to get married. So it is a really tricky position. I remember when I was growing up, I guess this you would have remembered this too, we were probably maybe in, I don't know, middle school when the draft registration for the draft was passed again, right? It, so that had been after the Vietnam War, the draft was, you know, abolished, and then they started the registration for the draft only just in case so that everybody. And so, you know, all of our friends who are male, and of course, there were only two genders back then, right? <laughs> right. According, well, there still are according to the US government, I imagine. But anyway, so all of our, you know, cis male friends had to register at the post office when they turned 18. And I remember thinking to myself, that what I really should do, what I wanted to do, what I planned to do is when I turned 18, I was going to go to the post office and insist on registering for the draft because it was so sexist and stupid that only men were required, except that I was against the draft. (laughs) And if I had been a a boy, I would have refused to register for the draft. So I was like, which which principle should I follow here? So of course, I ended up doing nothing out of paralysis because that's the easiest thing to do. But yeah. Patriarchy really makes things so confusing. Patriarchy is really confusing. It's just, it's, you know, it's incoherent. That's the real problem is it's got a lot of internal contradictions. It's okay. Back to marriage. Have you read the David Sedaris essay about him and Hugh getting married or maybe not getting Mm -hmm. married. Oh, I feel like every time we talk, I mention a different David Sedaris essay, which makes me seem like, I know it makes me seem like a weird stalker, but I just, (laughs) do you know that I don't like David Sedaris? I did not know that. Please say more about why you don't like David Sedaris. I don't know. His his humor just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. So mm. so everybody I know loves David Sedaris. Mm-hmm. So I know that that there must be something really wonderful about him, but it just, uh, he just doesn't resonate for me. Have you read a lot? Because I kind of feel like in the more recent books, they've gotten more kind of like less snarky humor and more... Oh yeah, it's the snarky that I don't like. Yeah. A Very little bit more self-reflective, more dark in a way that's like poignant, I guess. You know, especially since his sister died, his sister committed suicide, and his father died. Oh. There's been a lot more kind of, I don't know, more self-reflective humor. Anyway, mm. you know, he's not everybody's cup of tea. I've just always loved him. I discovered him, like, way back in the day. I mean, I went to see him live in, like, the late 90s, and I've seen him a few times. And I feel like I just kind of grew up with him in a way. So I've always just really liked and appreciated his humor. But I know people now, it's so funny how we're all kind of way off on a tangent here, but it's so funny how we've come so full circle that he's now old enough. I mean, he's older than us, maybe five or 10 years older than us, maybe 10. He is now a fuddy-duddy, right? He's now like, he's not PC enough, right? He's got like, Mm -hmm. even though he's like this gay essayist, he's just like a white gay dude who's got Mm -hmm. like all of that kind of political baggage. Um, He got into a lot of trouble for 
making a little interview where he talked about how he didn't like the word queer. He's like, I'm not queer, I'm gay. And it was funny. You know, it was also very, I thought it was kind of self-mocking. Like I'm too, he says, I'm too old to Mm. adopt a new vocabulary. So he's kind of making fun of himself. But of course it didn't go over well, as you can Mm -hmm. imagine, right? Um, And so, yeah, I know a lot of people don't like him for that reason, that he's like, Mm. he's done, he's passe, he's not keeping up with the times. All he does is write about rich, white, gay dude problems. Mm. Anyway, he has this essay where he talks about how he absolutely refuses to marry Hugh, his partner. I think they are now married. He never really says, but you get the sense that they did get married. He just doesn't want to say that. And they've been together for, I don't know, decades, for 30 years or whatever. Mm. And Hugh is just like, we are losing so much money by not getting married. And he just goes to work on him. He's just like, you know, he's like bringing his accountant in and showing him tax statements and like just wearing him down. And it takes like months or years. And I think eventually they do marry. But it's exactly the same thing where his, the whole joke is like, he hit me in my wallet. You know, and that's like the mm-hmm. only thing that I would actually listen to. So. Yeah. So I think getting back to sort of thoughts about marriage. Well, okay. So the thing I had said for years was that I um, just thought that they should abolish all legal marriage, that that would be the way. Yeah. Like like you in the draft, you know, like there should not be legal marriage because it's a legal contract. So you can Mm -hmm. set up contracts for all the things that marriage does. Um, Well, except, you know, the tax benefits, but you can, you know, set up contracts for, you know, if, if you have children, how you're dealing with that and how you're dealing with property and who you want to be able to visit you in the hospital. Like you can do all of that, but that, what we should do with marriage is it should be a cultural slash religious institution, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you want to have that ritual and that ceremony, then you think about doing that within that context, but that there did, that there wasn't any reason that you had to have a legal marriage. Um, So that, that was my stance for a long time, just abolishing all marriage. That's one way to accomplish marriage equality is Mm -hmm. just, you know, nobody can do it. Right. Um, You know, it's interesting because it's not just a legal contract in our society. I mean, I have to think about it within the context of all of the history of everything. And so even when you have legal marriages, there's an emotion connected to it. There's, Mm -hmm. There's a lot. So I don't know. I think it's really hard to disentangle and see it only as one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're one of the things your story was making me think about is how in a lot of Catholic countries, I know this is the case in France, you have to get married twice. You go do the legal marriage at City Hall or whatever, and then you have your religious ceremony and they are considered completely separate. You know, the idea that you would have the legal piece happen at the same time as, you know, like a priest like a, what does the priest have to do with this? The priest shouldn't have anything to do with it. It is actually interesting, right, to think that in a country where we have separation of church and state like that, that religious mm-hmm. leaders are vested with the power to make this contract between people. It's weird when you think about it right. that way. I mean, although anybody can be vested with that power, that's I true. gather. That's so, true. Um, yeah. yeah. I guess that's true. I, I mean, the fact that a religious figure can be, I guess is what I'm saying, like, you know, a justice of the peace or, you know, like when you have friends who go online and do the little, mm-hmm. you know, the certificate thing, it's always some kind of like a church of a something or something, at least the people I know who've done it. Mm-hmm. There's always like, you have to kind of say you're a, you're, <laughs> you're the head of some kind of church of some sort or, 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 or the spiritual. captain of a ship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, I just think it's an interesting question. And it, it kind of makes sense to have it be two completely separate ceremonies. So in a way, if you'd done it that way, you wouldn't even have had been lying. But I, I have so many more questions about the oh, oh, ab- yeah, bring about it. the lying part. <laughs> <laughs> or or lying by omission. Okay. 
first of all, this is my most burning question of all. So when it came time for you and Rob to fess up, you couldn't take it anymore. You wanted to tell everybody you were married. And I get that you had to at that point because you didn't want your your mom to know that you or his mom to know that you had been right. married the entire time. You had to then go through another ceremony. Why didn't you just make up another ceremony? Like, why did you actually get married in Vegas? Why didn't you just go to Vegas and take a bunch of pictures and say, now we're married. We just got married. Because apparently when I decided to come clean and be honest, I had to be completely honest. I was like... <laughs> I can't just make up something now. I have to do it. Well, the other thing is we were going to Vegas anyway for Rob's mm-hmm. birthday. And okay. so it was like, okay, well, this makes sense. We'll just do it there. I don't know. Like my logic around all of this is not entirely clear. <laughs> because, I mean, because the fact that you then got married does not actually technically undo the fact that you had been lying, right? It's like, it's actually, as you say about your refrigerator magnet, it doubles down. Now you've got three <laughs> lies or two lies or whatever it is, right? So it's actually kind of making it worse. I mean, I'm just, I'm not like busting your chops or anything. I just think it's interesting and funny that oh, you're like- it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This my, kind of logic. Yeah. My younger self- could justify anything. Mm -hmm. I I was so good at rationalizing all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I could just carry people along with me in that, you know, in that river of rationalization. So Rob and I were, you know, on that journey together. But yeah, it didn't really make any sense. And, and you know what, I'm, I'm still not sure if his mother knows that we were married before. So Myrna, if you're listening, sorry about that. I told people, but at that point we were splitting up, so I'm not sure what he told people. So, Oh, but that's super interesting. So let me see if I've even got this straight now. So Myrna, Rob's mom, mm-hmm. obviously she was at the, the chuppah ceremony, like oh, the, yes. the Jewishly married <laughs> wedding. Yes. So she was there. So she thinks you're married. And then later... No, she thinks we're not married. She thinks... Oh, wait, sorry, 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 right, right, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Married. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. She thinks you're right. doing just a commitment ceremony thing. Yes. So then later... And you, then four years later... Right. We're we going get married, to get married, quote unquote. But I don't then, know. Like I told my people at that point right. when Rob and I split up that, you that had we always had already been, been married, married before. Right. Although, you know, the weird thing is my mom forgot that. Like I told her that and later she was like, really? What? And I was like, come on. I told you that. <laughs> but maybe it wasn't like the most important thing when we were splitting up you know, in people's yeah. minds that, you yeah. know, it's like, oh, yes, they were married There's a lot before. to take in at that, you know, it's like, and by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, oh, God. Like not remembering that I had told you, mom, that I had actually been married before and was lying about it for four years. That's a classic thing for my mother not to remember. That seems like a mm. perfect, you know, just, ah, it's too many, ah, it's too many <laughs> details. I just, I, whatever. I don't, it doesn't even matter. Yeah, I think what like the most poignant, one of the most poignant parts is just the idea, like you say, like your friends are like, but you just got married. I know. (laughs) Actually. (laughs) And that's the point at which you fessed up about how Yeah, that's the point at which I just couldn't stand it anymore. You couldn't take it anymore. It's too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was that was the lie that broke the camel's back or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. So other just questions about the situation here. And then Mm. I I do want to dive back into the philosophical questions around marriage, because I think that's really interesting and I've got lots of things to ask you. But um, but just about the technicalities and kind of the what happened, when and to whom. So 
your grandmother's mat. I'm assuming this is your Jewish grandmother, right? I just yes. assumed that because she lives mm-hmm. in New York. Okay. Right. Was your Chinese grandmother alive at that point? No, or? she wasn't. No. Okay. So it was just the one grandmother who got to meet the other one grandmother. And all the parents? Yeah. Well, yeah. My one grandmother met his two, his two grandmothers. Oh, okay. All right. Were, everybody's parents were there too? Yep. Yep. Okay. Everyone was super supportive of the commitment ceremony. Yeah. It was really lovely. Yeah. Nobody felt like, ah, you're just asking us for presents. <laughs> No, really. You know what? I think anyone who didn't want to come didn't come. But, you know, we had plenty of family come and friends and and everyone celebrated. And so if there was anyone who was snarky about it, they didn't tell us. And I didn't invite David Sedaris. So, you know. (laughs) I I just think it's interesting because I had – so as you know, because you were present at my first wedding – we just went to City Hall and you and mm-hmm. you and Matt were our witnesses and yes. Dan's parents were there. My parents were not because mm-hmm. they didn't think it was important enough to drive down mm-hmm. from wait a minute, hold on a second. Oh no, no, they would have been I was gonna say, were they in Philadelphia at the time? No, that would have been crazy. That wouldn't have made any sense. That wouldn't have made any sense. Oh well it mm, ah, if you mm-hmm. met my mother. <laughs> She might have still been able to come up with a reason not to come, even if she's in the same city. No, no, they were living in North Carolina by that point. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I kind of told them not to come in a way. Or I I didn't tell them not to. I gave them the out because we got married on, I believe, you feel like I should remember this because it was my wedding anniversary. I think it was like December 7th or 10th or somewhere in the first week in December. And then we were driving down to North Carolina for Christmas slash non-Christmas, like a week later, and we're going to spend a couple weeks down there. So I think I told them, there's really no point in you driving all the way up here. We're just going to City Hall. It's going to be five minutes. We'll be, we'll Mm -hmm. be down later. And so it was one of the, it was a setup. I was, you know, I told them they didn't have to come. I also told them they didn't have to come to any of my graduations, but they they were at high school. I told them they didn't have to come to college or graduate school. And then kind of hoped that they would want to anyway, but they didn't. So they always took they always mm. took me up on my offers not to attend these important events in my life. Mm, but anyway, a secret wish that they would. Of course I did. I yeah. I mean mm. <laughs> they're my parents. <laughs> you kind of feel like they would have been able to figure that out and just been like, get out of town. Of course we'll be there, but no. Any anyway. parents who are listening, if your child <laughs> exactly. gets going out and says you don't have to come to some significant event that in their life, bullshit. you should go anyway. <laughs> you had better go. I mean, this is complete. Not only is it bullshit that they don't want you there, but this is a test and you don't want to fail the test. So <laughs> make sure you don't. Anyway. Um, sorry, I don't know how you get off on that. Uh, oh, wedding ceremony. So that was like a very small ceremony. Um, wasn't even really much of a ceremony. And then when Scott and I get married, because we were doing the whole green card theater, we had, it was still small. It was only like 35 people, um, but we had it in a little chapel, but we had like, we actually had a religious ceremony and we had a reception and we had dancing. We had like a whole proper wedding. We took tons of photos for, should I be saying this on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you're still together. It's not I know. I just, exactly. I just want to be very clear that even though we married at that time because Scott had immigration issues, we've been married for 23 years. So it's not like it wasn't a fake marriage or anything. So I think we're okay. He's had two green cards now. He had to give one up when we moved to Canada. And then when we moved back, he got to get another one. So I think he's pretty safe. So if you're an immigration official listening to this (laughs) podcast, they're really fine. They're in the clear. Exactly. In either Canada or the United States. (laughs) 
anyway, <laughs> we're good. We're good. We're all good. We've got multiple citizenships and everything's okay. But what I was going to say was, I did feel, even though they're both small weddings, one of them was kind of more like a real wedding wedding, you know, Scott's and my wedding was more wedding-ish. And I did notice that people were, had all type of feelings about it, you know, like a couple of gay couple friends didn't come and I kind of got, they kind of said they were going to and then didn't. And then, you know, I got that. I was like, at that point, I can see being like sick and tired of having to go to straight people's weddings. And this was a kind of traditional-ish looking wedding because we were doing it for the photographs and, <laughs> and all that good stuff. So yeah, I can, I can see that kind of feeling. And I, and I know that that feeling arises. Um, but what's interesting, I think now, and this is getting us back into the philosophical wedding marriage question, is how things have shifted since mm-hmm. marriage is now, gay marriage is now legal. How all of the warnings about like, oh, if we legalize gay marriage, then that means that everyone's going to have to marry in order to get any of these kinds of benefits. We're just closing ranks in on the traditional nature of relationships. And we're not, you know, we're just going to make it things more conservative. And I have noticed that to be the case. Like, it's my understanding at the University of Mississippi that there are no domestic partner benefits for same, sorry, for opposite sex couples. Like if you, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to marry. Whereas I'm not sure about University of Mississippi, but I know at Davidson College, which is where Scott was teaching a while back, there were no domestic partner benefits for opposite sex couples or mixed Mm -hmm. sex couples because they could marry, whereas gay couples could get domestic partner benefits. So there's a lot of like weird, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of funky little things. And now that gay couples can get married, of course, there's no domestic partner benefits at all. Like if you want them, you marry. And that's just the way it is. Except in the University of California system. Oh, of course. I'm talking about where I am. I actually don't know because I'm. We moved to Mississippi well after gay marriage was legalized, but uh, yeah. I don't. But know. But actually, like in the UC system, both same gender and mixed gender couples um, can have domestic partner benefits yeah. without that's going the, through the state. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the progressive way of doing it, right? You would. Mm-hmm. That's what everybody kind of would want in theory. Is is that and a whole range of different kinds of relationships could be recognized uh, and couples could get or throuples or polyamorous unions or, you know, any other, Mm -hmm. I'm actually wondering, I mean, I doubt there's any state, even California that recognizes any kind of poly relationships or maybe Utah. Maybe. (laughs) I mean, I don't (laughs) seriously. Like I think, I think that the whole point of like all of those Mormon Oh God, we're getting into Mormonism now. Okay, this is <laughs> but I think all of those Mormon offshoot sects that wanted mm-hmm. to maintain polygamy, they all had to go into hiding, kind of. They a lot of them went to Canada, and there's like a bunch of them in BC and some other places. So I don't, I don't think so. I doubt it. That would be. I don't have expert knowledge on this. No, so, I don't either. But, uh, but I would be, mm-hmm. I'd be really, really surprised. Yeah. So I mean, it's one of the interesting things about the story is I realized telling it now. At that time, having a commitment ceremony was actually also really unusual for same-gender couples. Like, it wasn't mm-hmm. really a thing that many people were doing then. And so it wasn't just that as a mixed-gender couple we were having a commitment ceremony. It right. was that anyone was having a commitment ceremony. So, yeah. Because this was, I think, 1995. Okay. So it was, yeah. It, and, I, and I realized that there needs to be something in that story to sort of place it in that mm-hmm. time period because, mm-hmm. because in, it's- In the high-waisted jeans era- 
<laughs> yes, I wore high-waisted jeans instead of white dress. No, I wore this huge red flouncy dress. It was it, it was oh, wow. really fun. It was a fun dress. That's but awesome. um yeah, well and actually in Chinese culture, you wear red um mm. for a wedding. So okay. that was my I'm not wearing white, but I'm going to wear red. Isn't white for funerals in Chinese mm-hmm. culture? Yeah, yeah, so that w- that would have been weird, I guess. So I want to talk more about the commitment ceremony itself. It's interesting to me that you're doing something or you did something is so non-traditional for very deliberate reasons. Like, I do not want to partake of these mm-hmm. patriarchal institutions. I don't, the symbolism of being given away by a father figure and uh, wearing white and throwing the garter and having bridesmaids and all of that, right? You know, when we decided that we would have this commitment ceremony, the decisions we made about it, I feel like were more affirmative then, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I realize in the story, I do sort of do that litany of things Mm -hmm. we're not going to do. But actually, we were very intentional about what we were going to do. So I remember not only did we have The Essential Lesbian and Gay Guide to Weddings, which was a fantastic book. You know, it just kind of takes you through all that decision-making. I feel like people make so many decisions about their weddings, but sometimes it's mostly about the detail. And this Mm -hmm. was, there was so much substance to it. We also had a book about... Um, Jewish ceremonies. Mm. And so it taught me a lot about the meaning of different things within the Jewish traditions. Mm-hmm. And we did, so we did these seven blessings and <laughs> we, we revised them because there are these seven blessings and well, they not surprisingly all talk about God. And I was like, I don't want to talk about God. So <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, I'm just going to rewrite them so that mm-hmm. they don't mention God. Right. But then we also had them read in the Hebrew, which mm-hmm. um, I think there was still, you know, God in there. And then we had different people read them. So I have family, you know, who speaks Hebrew. And so we had like 14 people who were assigned different roles. It was a very participatory ceremony. It lasted like an hour. It was very long as mm-hmm. ceremonies go. Mm-hmm. But it had, you know, each of our parents spoke and we had a couple of friends who spoke, like one of whom like read Dr. Seuss and that was lovely. And then we had like candle lighting and I still very much appreciate how thoughtful we were about what that day would be. It sounds beautiful. It sounds really, really nice. And I guess I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you about, like the particulars and specifics of that those decisions you made, particularly Mm. the religious ones, which I'm really curious about. Mm -hmm. But before we get there, I had another timeline question that I just remembered that I wanted to make sure to pin you down on, which is, so you said four months before the commitment ceremony, you got legally married, right? A few months before. I don't remember. But at that point, the commitment ceremony was planned. Yeah, it was already all underway. Yeah, Yeah. it was. Mm -hmm. When you decided to go ahead. When Rob bought a car. Right. So there was absolutely no consideration at that point. It would have been pretty easy to just do a couple of tiny tweaks and turn the commitment ceremony into an actual <laughs> wedding. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's like we had made such a big deal about the fact that this wasn't a wedding and that we mm-hmm. weren't getting married. No, right. no. At that point, there was no way to back down from this. It was like, <laughs> I was very firm about, you know, all of my ideals about right. marriage and all the reasons not to get married. Right. And I explained it to everyone. People were like cheering us on. This is awesome that you're doing this. And <laughs> you know, all, yeah, there was just not, no, could not back down it's, at that yeah, point. Yeah, you couldn't back Mm-mm. down, yeah. Mm-mm. But that does pose an interesting philosophical question, which is like, you know, if a tree falls in the forest kind of thing. It's like, if one of the things or the kind of the deeper reasons that you have 
reservations about or even objections to the institution of marriage is the way in which it affirms all of these kind of patriarchal expectations, then being married and getting the benefits from the state and the rental car companies or whatever, auto, auto insurance, but with not being public about it does kind of fix that problem in a sense, right? It's like, you know, it's not, maybe not so much. Does a, it fix it or did I just completely lack integrity? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, trying, I'm trying to spin this for you, Tanya. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I know. Mean, it's let's put it this way. I don't think you would make the same decisions now, right? No. That's like yeah. <laughs> I would not and some of that is because really the dishonesty aspect of it is just not a way I live my life, you know? Yeah. But at the time it just it somehow made sense to me. Yeah, I mean it mm -hmm. makes sense when you read the story or hear the story. Mm. It's like yeah, that, uh, you can see how this series of events and decisions just unfolded, one leading into the next. And you're kind of like, it's almost like a crime caper movie or something where it's like, before you know it, <laughs> like the heist is underway. You can't stop it. <laughs> so, okay. So I have some more questions about your grandmother. The grandmother who had been married for the third time, at, th at that point, was her third husband still living? Was he at the... Oh, no, you said she, he had died because oh, she yeah. said she they, had outlived no, no, three no, they, husbands. Yes. By the time we split up, Bob had passed, but um, they were both at the commitment ceremony. They were both at the commitment ceremony, okay, which I keep calling a wedding. Sorry, I've got to keep that straight in order to <laughs> not confuse everybody and myself. So later, when you fessed up, your aunt tells you the story that your grandmother mm -hmm. had done this. So, And she had done it. Why exactly? I need to get clearer on the reasons so, why she had hidden it. Something about the apartment lease. So, so my but grandmother- That's why they got married. But why did she want to hide it? That's the part I don't understand. Oh, why did she want to hide it? Yeah. Um, it's a good, it's a, it's, it's a question <laughs> for grandma, but it's too late. Yeah. It's too late it's too to late. ask. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's because she, like I, like already had this, you know, they were going to do this wedding ceremony. Right. Um, really not sure. Interesting. I wish she was still here and we could ask her this question because it's really fascinating. Like maybe she had some of the same scruples or maybe, I don't know. I know a lot of people feel like when it gets into like third times around, they're kind of like, eh. You know, what's well, the no, point? I mean, because there was a ceremony. There was yeah. this like lovely ceremony. All the granddaughters were there, you know, yeah. in her apartment. And I mean, I do think, you know, she was thoughtful about things. And I imagine that mm -hmm. there's a way that she wanted to do it, that she wanted to have a ceremony. But I also imagine that there might have been like a, you've got to put Bob on the lease or, you know, something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what will happen. And or in order to do something, you've got to be married. So she might have just done it quickly. But it wasn't necessarily the way she, you know, wanted to enter into that public relationship or, right, a, you know. Right, That Yeah, that makes sense to me. That's kind of the French model almost, right? Where it's like, well, we have to do this quick legal thing mm -hmm. and then later we're going to do the ceremony. But if you're not in a culture that recognizes that those are separate things, then it might feel a little weird to mm -hmm. say we're already legally married. I feel like I know several people who by the time they got to their big ceremony were already legally married. Like, I can't remember now, but I feel like I have at least one other couple friend um, who've told me this. And it was the reason that you would think. It was just like, well, we needed to be married quickly because we needed some benefit. We right. needed something. And then the, the ceremony wasn't for months. So we just got married and then did the ceremony later. And often not telling people because there is something – do you know about J.L. Austin and how to do things with words, the idea mm -hmm. of the performative utterance? No. Nope. 
Okay, so J.L. Austin was a philosopher, a language philosopher. Uh, he wrote a book called How to Do Things with Words, in which he explains the the concept of the performative utterance. So there's constitutive utterances and performative utterances. And it's a whole like interesting, you know, sophisticated theory, but the kind of boiled down cartoon version, I say that to my students all the time, this is the cartoon version, right? <laughs> Which is um, that a performative utterance is an utterance that brings something into being in the act of saying it, right? So if you say... I now pronounce you husband and wife, mm. the moment of saying it makes the the actual thing happen. Mm. Or christening a ship, right? I christen this ship, um, you know, the SS Minnow or whatever, and then you break mm -hmm. the champagne across the bow. And that, that's the moment at which the ship becomes the SS Minnow. I mean, it's a really interesting concept to think about, right? But I feel like maybe the reason people feel slightly ripped off, <laughs> maybe, or potentially, or that there's an anxiety that your guests are going to feel ripped off, even if it's not true, by being at a wedding that isn't a wedding. And I'm talking about the opposite now, right? I'm talking about when you're already married mm -hmm. and then you have an actual wedding, whereas you had a commitment ceremony, which is different, right? This is a totally right. like kind of a different situation. Right. As far as anybody knew, we were having a commitment ceremony and then later we got legally married, which exactly. is you know, kind of bizarre, right. but it flips yeah. it around. Mm -hmm. But in the, in the other example, it's more like, you know, are your guests going to feel kind of like they weren't there for the actual moment when you became married? But and see, somehow this is where it's like legal marriage. Maybe it is like health insurance, open enrollment, you know, mm. where it's like you don't invite people over for that. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I, I kind of like that. I like that. But but I think it has to be supported by your culture, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. if you're used to living in a society in which everybody really wants to be there at the moment, and like see the magical second in which you are bound together by this performative utterance, then it does feel like a letdown, right? I mean, I think that the ritual of weddings, which is not the same, I think, as the ritual of marriage, you know, right. like, I think marriage is exactly what you're taught that, you know, that's the sort of legal aspect. But the ritual of weddings, which then has the legal aspect woven into it, there really is something about bonding yourself to somebody surrounded by community, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that I, I think that that is a powerful move. And it's a powerful thing to do. So it's funny because sometimes, you know, I know people who get married, but they never have a ceremony. And, and mm -hmm. I I sort of think that, oh, that's a little sad because there's something lovely about the ceremony yeah. of it. Um, And oh, and by the way, I love weddings. Oh, like, me too. I, I freaking I love, love weddings. I love going to weddings. I, think <laughs> I have no great. problem yeah. going to other mm -hmm. people's weddings. I'm yeah. like, yeah, because it's like you it it's they're fun they are they're just objectively fun or they should be anyway they should, they're dancing yeah. and food and music and people Listeners, telling other please people invite us to your them. weddings oh my god please <laughs> i'm now at the age where i haven't been i haven't been to a wedding in a long time like even my friend's second marriages are in the past. Are in the past. Oh my gosh. Well, actually, yeah. Matt and I went to a wedding. His like best friend from second grade just got oh, married. Oh, yeah. For the first time? Yeah, for the first time to, wow. to a man. So That's um, wonderful. And it was so lovely. And the funny thing is, Matt and I, this is not our first time we've been to a wedding together. Like we went to a wedding together like 35 years yeah. ago. 
And then we got to go to another wedding together. It was so great. So yeah, Yeah. I think weddings are lovely at every age. You know, my my grandmother was like 80 when she got married. I mean, that sounds, your description of that sounds delightful. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like I'm waiting, like, it's just going to be a few more years before my friend's kids start getting married. They're not quite at the Mm -hmm. age yet. So that'll be happening soon. So I I think there'll be another wave in my future, but I just, I'm in a fallow period and it's making me kind of sad. One last thing I want to say is the community thing. I think that's really important. And I think you really bring that out almost kind of not inadvertently, but it's like a sub theme here, right? Because the whole point is like of witnessing, like you're having a commitment ceremony. So much of the way you describe it is that it's important to you to communicate to your friends and your loved ones, and your family, these are our values and this is what we want to do. And they supported you in that. And we're like, yes, let's do this commitment ceremony. And so all of the subsequent other things that happened are also about community about feeling a responsibility like now I need to tell people or now I need to like you know come clean or it's all about a kind of active communication in a community right like it's communal it's all those comms right that I think is really brought out by this brought out by the twists and turns even more than it would have been if it had just been a straightforward wedding story right Well, yeah, I think that's a great point. And there really is something about, you know, we have our relationships within the context of our other connections with people. And Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's a whole web of that, that that can hold us in connection. And that also, you know, can get really frayed and disjointed when those connections dissolve. And actually, I have to say, you know, David and I split up years ago now, but mm-hmm. I'm going to have Thanksgiving at his house with his oh, family this next week. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. So, and I know so you I, and Rob are still friends because he emailed the our podcast to say how much he liked it when we first yes, started. Yes, absolutely. So, and, yeah. and Lisa and I are still close. In fact, I was supposed to be traveling in India right. with her now, but right. world yeah. circumstances uh, yeah. got in the That's way. Great. So That's yeah. Really so yeah, the connections like mm-hmm. within the relationship are important and also just that kind of um, community of people around. Yeah. That's why I did not like the office episode where Jim and Pam go off and get married on that ship instead of actually getting married. Have you, have you watched Spoiler that? alert for the oh. office. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Have we had this conversation about how you haven't we, watched the office? And we I have just had forgot. This conversation. Oh no. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I, I got all comfy because I was like, I know I can refer to Buffy. And then I just forgot that I, yeah, I just repressed that. Anyway. That, that, well, that's okay. It's okay. I might never watch The Office, so I think it'll be fine. Okay. I know you've you've encouraged me to do it and you've told I me. I, I pretty much ruined the whole show for you just now, pretty much. I mean, not really. There's still lots of good stuff in The Office, but that's a big spoiler. Anyway, I'm sorry. Any last thoughts <laughs> aside from how terrible your friend is, even though she knows that you hate spoilers? She did. Oh no, it's okay. <laughs> it's it's impossible to protect me from all things that I have not watched yet. So yeah. I've I feel like actually our conversation about spoilers has sort of helped me to be a little bit more accepting. Right. So cool. That's great. As That's as awesome. well as to educate all you know, a lot of people I know <laughs> about why they shouldn't tell me things. But yes, yeah, absolutely. That's also an important side effect of course so Uh, yeah i can't think of anything else to say except that this was great to be able to talk about it and really reflect on something that i wrote so much earlier that which also is about 
who I was even earlier than that. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of a lot of levels of reflection on myself. So thank you once again for being in this process with me. I, I just love getting to talk to you about things. Absolutely. My pleasure, 100%. I really enjoyed reading this and I love talking about it with you too. So thanks, Tanya. Thanks, Dee. Bye, everybody. Listeners, if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and share so more folks can find us. You can follow us on social media at Dr. Wafflepod, that's D-R Wafflepod, all one word, or email us at drwafflepod at gmail.com. Check out the show notes for websites and other info. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.